0: Good morning, welcome. How's everyone doing today? Awesome. So uh, if you don't mind, please stand. All right, now we'll read uh, Psalms 15. The Lord, whom may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, the ones who walk blameless, who do what is righteous, who speak the truth from their heart. Whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to their neighbor, and casts no slur to others, who despise a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept the bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Let's go ahead and pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's praise.
1: I can't contain and I can't control.
2: from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 29. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. As we celebrate Jesus' birthday this time of year, which Luke chapter 2 tells us was announced by the angels to the shepherds in the field, they were told by the angels that today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah of the Lord. When we take communion together, we are remembering our Lord and Savior's life, death, and resurrection with the highest regard proclaiming his return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings we have and all that you do for our lives. And ask that uh, all the prayers answered in this congregation be answered to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
3: playing there, it brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> so today, right, right now is time for announcements. So we are still doing ink cartridge collection. We recycle the empty ink cartridges to help reduce the cost of office supplies. Um, and contact Carol Hankins if you have any questions. Refit dance class is every Tuesday and Thursday and Friday from 6.30 to 7.30 here at the church. Um, contact Kristen or Chris Ney Fit. Men's Night is the first Wednesday of the month from 6 to 8 at Heartland here. Contact Chris Nay in the back for any questions about Men's Night. Food and Fellowship, the third Wednesday of every month from 6 to 8 at Heartland. So that would be not this week, not next week, but the week after, Wednesday. Um, Empty Nesters, the Christmas brunch is December 7th, which would be, a contact would be Sharon Ponchot. I always think about the day, what day of the week that is. I don't know about you all, but look on your calendar, (laughs) mark your calendars, Christmas brunch for the Empty Nesters. And we also have a food and clothing pantry every Thursday from 5 to 7, I have trouble holding the microwave, okay. Um, so these are the list of things that you can bring. Um, we ask that donations be dropped off at the church Thursday from five to seven or Sunday at the 1030 service here at church. And that will be downstairs to drop those off. Um, the breakfast fellowship, which was this morning it was the first Sunday of the month at 930 breakfast is better when we eat together. Uh, contact Carol Hankins with any questions. And the giving tree. so the giving tree is a Christmas program to help Goshen students with gifts for Christmas. so that would be um, also there would be Mellon Ridge gift bags and tags on the back window for those. Um, uh, and then the gifts are needed by December 10th and see Bonnie Marsh with any questions. Do you have I just wanna say we do need the gifts Okay Okay. Okay, so the gifts for the children, for the students at Goshen needed by December 10th, Sunday. Okay. Gingerbread House Decorating is a free community event on December 9th. So for children to uh, come with their families um, at from 2 to 4, and I believe that's a Saturday. And you can register online at that website. Uh, Goshen United Christmas Caroling is Sunday, December 17th at 230 and there's our weekly budget Um, ministries to you can you would support through the giving are listed here as well if you have any questions uh, please see our leadership team about that Um, ways to give in person there's an offering box in the back right below the clock at the back wall or online you can go to the website and give online as well we're going to get ready to break for meet and greet i just would like to add that um, i'm going to welcome all the children up front um, that are 6 to 12 years of age, and we're going to go downstairs through the back entrance here. Um, I, I take the children downstairs on the first and third Sunday for Children's Church. If anyone feels led to be um, a support for that, um, I'll give you an example of today. Um, it's wonderful we were see- singing about love because Colossians 3.14 talks about, above all, um, clothe yourselves in love. Um, and we're talking about the love of that God teaches us about, not what the world necessarily teaches us. So we want to teach our children about um, Jesus. So if you feel led to do that, um, we, have, we have materials. I do brief lessons, and sometimes we do a craft. So if anyone has any questions or would like b- to be on the schedule on the second and fourth Sunday, let me know. Um, now we'll break for a 10-minute meet and greet.
0: Well, you may notice I'm holding the regular mic today because, well, you won't have to listen to me talk for the next 20, 30 minutes. We have a real professional pastor today with a lot of experience. Uh, his name is Earl Stevens. Um, through a, through his family and a friend of a friend, uh, we contacted him when Derek was on his leave to give me uh, a little break from speaking every week. Um, and so I was scheduled to speak both Sundays in a row, why Derek was on vacation, but I thought, man, I got a lot going on, so why don't I just contact Earl Stevens and see if he would uh, come up here and preach, and hit right on, Johnny on the spot, he without hesitation, man, he just said, I'm on it, so without any further ado, Earl Stevens.
4: It's good to be with you this morning, and uh, see all those smiling faces, I feel like I'm at home, This church building looks a little bit like the one that uh, I have ministered to for a number of years. Just wanted to tell you that uh, I am Joni's cousin, and if you do not like the sermon, we're not related and we don't know each other. So just so you know. And I have several other cousins that are are here today, and I'm very grateful for that. It's a blessing to be able to be with you. I'll just warn you that I had the opportunity to fill in a a couple of times like this at the New Richmond Church of Christ. And uh, one of the young men came up to me afterwards and said, I like my preacher, he's funny. So, uh, so anyway, I don't know what you're going to get into today. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit this morning about uh, the ideal Christmas gift. How many of you have already gone shopping? How many of you all have your gifts and have them wrapped and everything ready? Oh my goodness. All right. All <clears> right. <throat> Well, in case you don't, I would like to recommend an ideal Christmas gift, and that's what I want to look at. We're looking at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians, and I'll be reading that, but I'm actually going to focus in on just a little bit of that passage of Scripture, which is really very important. And it's a Christmas gift, an ideal Christmas gift that I want to talk about. Uh, It is absolutely free, but it might cost you everything. And so I want you to think about that. This is an ideal Christmas gift that... uh, Uh, is free, but it might cost you everything if you choose not to give it. And so uh, I just wanted to leave that out. I know that Dan had uh, preached about Moses and uh, about the fact of the children of Israel uh, passing through the sea. And we are told in the New Testament about the fact that uh, they passed through the sea and the cloud was over them and that they were baptized into Moses and that they ate the same spiritual food as we have today as far as the body and blood of Jesus Christ and the word that he has given to us. And so we have that similarity and talking about coming to Christ, being baptized into him and uh, being baptized not into Moses, but into Christ. And he also shared with you, I know, about the fruit of the Spirit last week, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the Bible talks about, is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And it works in our lives as much as we allow him to work and uh, bears this fruit that we could not bear without the Holy Spirit being inside of us. But that's exactly where I want to pick up because as we come to Christ, there should be changes in our life and our lives should look different than they did before we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and putting first in our life. And so uh, it's talking about putting off and putting on or dying to self and being alive in the Spirit. And so I want to start then in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. "'So I tell you this, and insist on in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have been given themselves over to sensuality, so to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed.'" Now, today, they had the Jews and the Gentiles uh, in the Old Testament, and the Gentiles were those that were not a part of the Jewish nation, therefore did not know God uh, primarily unless they were a convert into Judaism, and they had no hope of salvation or that uh, they would have the promise of eternal life. Today, we could look in the Gentiles and think of anyone that's outside of Christ, who have not accepted him as their Lord and Savior, who have no hope. And the Bible says that they are hardened, Have you ever lived in a generation or seen anything like you have today? I'm 75 years old, and so uh, looking back in my life, I see a lot of dramatic changes, even in the last 10 uh, years, let alone even before that. There is a hardening of our hearts, and uh, people don't think twice about doing any kind of immoral act. They don't think twice about uh, doing anything that uh, the Bible says it's, in fact, whatever the Bible says is good. This proclaimed as evil today, and anything that's evil is proclaimed a good. You find an out out pretty much in what you're seeing uh, in the world around you. It's changed dramatically. Uh, and it's changed from even my grandparents' day in a day where you could leave your doors open and people just drop in and uh, a hospitality and love was extended to all individuals. But we've hardened our hearts, and that's the type of world that's around us. And so Paul is telling us we're not to be like that. That's our old way of life. That's a sinful way of life. And the world has influenced the church, I'm afraid, in a great deal in so many ways that we're trying to look more like the world so that we will be accepted and people will like us and so that we've compromised sometimes on our values in in those areas. And so we are to be different from the world. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are not to look like everybody else does. And even if we didn't say a word, our lives should preach a sermon, and others should be able to see Christ living in us. That, he goes on to say in verse 20, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him according to the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." Therefore, he gives examples of the things that we should put off as Christians that shouldn't be a part of our life now, may have been a part of our life before we came to Christ, but now our life should look dramatically different than it did before. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, anger is not an emotion that the Bible condemns. You might find that uh, very strange, but the Bible does not condemn anger, but it's what we do with the anger that is inside of us. And the anger that we have inside of us should be directed at resolving a problem and not attacking and uh, putting down other individuals. So it should be directed in a proper way in resolving a problem, but we have a tendency to use it to uh, attack one another. And the Bible says, take care of your anger before you go to sleep. You don't want to harbor anger inside of you, and who does it affect? It affects us, doesn't it? I mean, ulcers and uh, all kind of indigestion and everything like that. That's uh, evidence that sometimes we're harboring anger in our heart. So the Bible says now, as a Christian, that we should not take anger to bed with us, but we should resolve it before the sun goes down. It says, anyone who has been stealing must not steal any longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. I might give you a trick question today and ask you, and I won't call you out or anything like that, but I might ask you, when is a thief not a thief? And then you might respond to me and say, well, when he stops stealing, but that would not be right. A thief is a thief when their life changes from the inside out. And not only when they just quit stealing, but the Bible says when they begin to work with their own hands. Now, in Cincinnati, they're ripping off our cars right and left, the catalytic converters, and uh, stealing the Kias and everything around me. And even in our own parking lot, I've had that experience. And so all of those kind of things, people are taking what doesn't belong to them. People are putting up Christmas decorations. They're stealing them and taking them down and uh, uh, going with them. And you can't even leave a package on the doorstep anymore because somebody is going to be a porch pilot, and they're going to come and uh, steal your uh, property. But the Bible says, as a Christian, we shouldn't even think about that. And when is a thief not a thief? When they change from the heart out by the Holy Spirit and when they work with their hands, and not only do they, they stop getting and grabbing and taking what is not tha- theirs, but it goes on to say, so that they're doing something useful with their hands so that they can, what, give to other people. See, that's what transformation looks like. It's not stopping an activity. If you, put, if you stop an activity, then you have an empty void in your life, and the devil is going to be so glad to be able to fill it with something. So, all the putting off that the Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture, and other passages tells us to crucify the flesh, it always has something that we're put on in its place, and that's the theme throughout all of this. It says, do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful to building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Our tongue gets us in the most trouble, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you know, we uh, usually engage our tongue, and the brain is the last thing to be engaged afterwards. And if we just go back and undo some of the things that we have said that just come out, and uh, it never appears more, and I had never had more of a struggle than this, is that uh, when I'm being cut off on the highway or uh, when uh, somebody gives me the bird and uh, things, I mean, I don't have a first thought, unfortunately, is not bless you uh, in all of that. Uh, however, the Bible tells me that I should be of such a mind that I don't let any unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and benefits to those who listen. The Bible says this, don't let us grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we're sealed with the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and what do we replace it with? Be kind and compassionate to one another. When uh, many, many years ago, I started out as a youth minister. I was youth minister of Batavia, Ohio, which happened to be my home church. And I started out as a youth minister there. There was one guy that came, and he was just rough as a cob, as we say in the country. Uh, he came in, and he looked like the least likely person, if you just made a judgment call from looking at him, that he would ever be a Christian. But his wife had died, and he was in a position where a vulnerability, and he realized that there had to be more to life. And unfortunately, he waited all of his life, his wife was a Christian, but he waited all of his life to become a Christian, which I'm sure because his wife continued to pray for him all those years, no matter what. And when he came to Christ, he didn't lose his vocabulary immediately, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) And so my youth group was distressed and was talking to me about that. It's so-and-so, do you know what he said or what he says or how he talks or anything like that? And I said, whoa, wait a minute. You know, there's the truth of the matter that when we come to Christ that we're instantly sanctified. All our sins are forgiven, they are washed clean, and we are a new creation in Christ. But the truth of the matter is that over time, though, we're going to continue to deal with sins and habits and hang-ups that we've had in our life, and that's going to be ongoing till the day we die. I have news for you, there's not a perfect person here. Now, if you think you're perfect, raise your hand and I'll have everybody move to the side so the lightning doesn't get you. And that's including the preacher up here. I wouldn't dare say that I'm perfect because my congregation knows me all too well, being there as long as I have. But I will say that, uh, you know, there are people that have been spontaneously uh, cured. Uh, I mean, they have uh, been alcoholics and they have uh, been drug addicts and everything like that. And God immediately uh, delivered them on the spot. And I have no qualms about all of that. God can do anything. But the truth of the matter is that now that they don't, concentrate on the drugs or the alcohol, there's still other areas of our life, do you know, that are out of control, or other sins or temptations, or it could even be pride, look what I did, or look what I, where I've been and everything, but nevertheless, we're all going to be struggling with something till the day we die. It's a process of sanctification. None of us have arrived while we're here on earth. I don't see any halos out there, and you don't see any up here either, but uh, uh, we are all struggling with something throughout our lives. Now, the ideal Christmas gift that I want to talk to you about is in the next couple of verses, and that's where I really want to zero in. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for our sins. Isn't forgiveness one of the hardest things you ever had to do and ever been called to do in your life? I know that many of us have been hurt or wounded in one way or another, and uh, I've had a long-term ministry where I'm at, and I know that uh, there have uh, been a long time. I've been a minister there since I was 30 years old, and I attended there uh, practically eight years before that. And Mrs. Ponshot and I were talking earlier that uh, Milton Dills was the minister when I was uh, there, which is Karen Ponchott's uh, father-in-law. And Bob Ponshot actually is responsible, Bill's brother that preached here, is responsible for our church buying the property, and and we are housed in the house that we are uh, currently housed today because of his ministry with our congregation. And so uh, being a long-term in ministry, I can tell you quite honestly that I've spent some of the very best days of my life and some of the very worst days of my life in a church setting. But both were important for my growth, and both were important for my maturity. And I had a time where the church split. There's always a couple of splits there, you know, people don't like this one or don't like that one, and you understand how that goes. And it went in our church, too, nothing new under the sun when it comes to things like that. And in one particular time, I was blamed for everything under the sun. Now, I've got a past, and I'm a preacher with the past, and that's a whole different story and a different testimony that... Uh, that I am not secretive about and that I do share, but not here this morning. And there's a lot of things that can be said, and they're legitimately so, but this was one of those things that uh, uh, was, I didn't do anything, you know, that they accused me of. Uh, It was one individual that uh, she uh, decided that God told her that uh, uh, I had ousted a preacher there and uh, treated him shabbily and everything like that. I spent three years doing Celebrate Recovery ministry at our church, Uh, was self-supported during that three-year period period of time. And so I was accused of causing that minister to leave, but they didn't know what went on in the office. Secretary and I both knew what kind of an individual he was. I had nothing to do with any of that, but I was accused of that and a whole lot more. And consequently, there was a split over that. And uh, so during that period of time, that was one of the roughest things. And I can remember I was just torn up about it, And that I prayed to God and I asked God to, uh, um, you know, I, I just complained to God. I said, you know, I'm not guilty. I'm guilty of a lot of things, but I'm not guilty of what they're accusing me of. But you know what? God brought me up short and said, but you're even worse. You didn't do that. You're right. But you're even worse than what they said. Man, you don't argue with God. There was no argument. I understood what he was saying. And I'm saved today not because anything Earl has done or anything Earl has accomplished or because Earl's such a good guy. I'm saved today because of God's amazing grace. And my conviction is that if you think that you're a pretty good person and somebody has wounded you and you don't think that they're so good it's going to be harder for you to forgive. But if you realize that you're a sinful individual and you realize the only way you stand a hope of heaven is through what Christ did on the cross for your sins. And I want engraved on my tombstone, saved by his amazing grace. I want that to be my legacy and my testimony, that God saved me not because I deserved it, Not because I earned it, not because I could buy my salvation, not that it could ever be good enough because I can't. But he is so awesome that even in my worst moment, it didn't take him by surprise, and he saved me by his amazing grace. So with this individual, we kind of, they parted ways and everything, pulled out of the church and all of that. I prayed, tried to forgive, it was really difficult to do. I'm not going to tell you, it hurt, you know, because I knew what was said was a lie. But I also know that in Matthew, you had the uh, Lord's Prayer up here, but Christ concludes that prayer by saying, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others, their sins Your Father will not forgive you." You know, it's easy to really preach the Word of God, but it's a whole lot harder to apply it in our lives. He also says in the Beatitudes, "'Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven.'" For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I didn't feel too blessed, to be honest with you. And because we knew similar people over and over again, that I would come in contact with this individual, and it would be at a wedding, it would be at a funeral, it would be wherever, you know. And you know that churning you get in your stomach, you just want to go out and puke? And you see them over there, and you just want to go out the back door as fast as possible and not ever make any kind contact. Well, I was convicted in my heart that that's not the righteous way that I should do. It's a way humanly that I wanted to deal with it, but it's not a righteous way that that God would want me to deal with it. And so I learned to go directly to them and to speak to them first. Then I would hear back, somebody would be more than happy to report back to me what so-and-so said. Did you know what so-and-so said? I get to the point that I released it and I thought I'd forgiven it and then it all came back again and I'm hearing all these rumors all over again and stuff. And I finally had to get to the point where I prayed, God, help me to want to forgive. You know what I'm saying? He already knows I'm harboring this bitterness and resentment. He already knows that I don't really want to forgive her, but I had to be honest with him and say, God, help me to want to to forgive. And only by his Holy Spirit I was able to do that, and that I could look her in the eye, I had no remorse, I had no anger, I had no resentment, and when you know it, he brought her back to the church. That's God at work with us today. I was taught a lesson many, many years ago. I knew a woman, and I want to say this quote. In uh, anything that I'm saying this morning, I want to recommend a book, Peacemakers. It's by Ken Sandy, and that's one of the greatest books I've ever read. I also read another book, Hurt People, Hurt People, and that'll come into my message in a little bit. But uh, Ken Sandy's Peacemaker is one of the greatest things that you could ever do because you're going to have conflict in church; it's going to be inevitable. But he talks about conflict as being an opportunity. Did you ever think of it as being an opportunity? But he says it's an opportunity to glorify God, to serve others and to grow in Christ. Is that your first thought when you think of a conflict? No. No. So, he says it's an opportunity for us to glorify God. The way that I handle it is going to say everything about what I say I believe. It's going to give validity to it, or it's going to say I'm the biggest hypocrite ever stood in a pulpit. And it serves others because, you know, when there's conflict, there's people watching. There's an audience. There's people choosing sides. Let's just face it. And even in your own family, you know how that goes and everything. But they're watching you to see how you react and what you do and how you handle it. And no matter how you're preaching or encouraging or talking about the scriptures or all of that, doesn't matter. They're watching you put the scriptures into practice by how you handle it, and it's to grow in Christ. Anybody ever experience EGR people? You know what EGR people are? Extra grace required. Yeah, you know them too. Don't point them out here, okay? We don't need that. But extra grace required people because they just get on your last nerve, you know? You just see him coming and you think, oh no, here we go again and everything. But what you may not realize is those extra grace required people may be the very ones that God brings into your life as sandpaper to smooth out your rough edges. And the only way that that's going to work is if you allow the oil, the Holy Spirit, to be the lubricant between you and them. And you will grow through conflict greater, farther, and become more Christ-like to really learn how to love in spite of, agape love. Did it ever occur to you? It's been on my mind recently for, I don't know what's ahead for me, and I hate to even think about it sometimes. but. It's been on my mind more than any other time recently, is that the thought of Jesus living on the face of the earth, sharing himself openly and intimately with 12 disciples, knowing that one guy in his immediately close group was going to be trained. How in the world do you do that? We don't see that. I mean, we can't perceive it always. And sometimes when we get wind of something, sometimes it's too late and we're in the middle of it. But Jesus was with this one individual, all the 12 individuals, but one individual. And he was with him and poured out his life to him for three years, knowing that he was going to betray him to death. And we're called to be like Christ. And not only that, when Jesus was spit on, and mocked, and ridiculed, and called everything in the book, and was beat, and then he died on the cross in a horrible crucifixion that I can't even imagine. I think the Passion of the Christ. I think that was the more most realistic depiction of how Christ died than anything else. I, I also, I'll tell you. I, I've seen it a couple of times. I still can't look at the crucifixion scene. I still can't watch it all the way through. I just can't hack it. And yet, what did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Would that be your thoughts? You think that would be my thoughts? I didn't want to get down off the cross and smack the tar out of him. (laughs) But he didn't. And the Bible says he could call ten legions of angels to come and rescue him. And they could have taken care of the crew that did. And yet Christ calls us to be like him. I know a woman, very fine lady, that married a man who was his mother's favorite child. I don't have to go any further on that whole of sons, do I? You already know. I mean, uh, and then we saw it in the time of uh, Jacob where uh, he uh, uh, favored his son Joseph, and so we understand how that goes. And she married uh, the mother's favorite child. And she was treated lesser than... From that time on. And there were a lot of things said and done or not done, and she was hurt many times. But what you never heard is for her, she never gossiped about her mother-in-law. She never said a negative thing. She never reacted in kind. She was the one that remembered the holidays, even though son got credit, and you know how that goes as well. And this went on for years. And then one day, the mother in law became sick. And the outcome didn't look good. And do you know what this daughter in law did? She went to the house. She prepared meals for her and her husband. She cleaned the house. And she took care of this individual for the whole time until she died, and the mother-in-law during this time asked forgiveness and said she regretted how she had treated her. This is a story that you would never know because it was never told outside the family. This is a story that you would never hear because no one knew. But this is a story I tell you because that woman was my mother. And she taught me more about forgiveness than anything I ever read in Scripture. I was 37 years old and preaching at Anderson Ferry, I'd been there seven years at that well, preaching seven years that time, full uh, time. I attended there, like I said, a little bit uh, about eight years prior to that. Uh, led to youth and did things like that and before. And I can very well remember one Sunday that I am preaching and uh, uh, sharing the, the Bible and everything like that, and all of a sudden, I don't know if it was there when I got home, I don't know exactly when it was, but I was convicted by the Holy Spirit that at 37, I'd never forgiven my dad. And again, when God convicts you of these things, you don't argue with him. It'd be only a fool to object. And I got down on my knees and I asked forgiveness. When I was growing up, dad was, uh, drank a lot. I saw him hug the uh, toilet and puke his guts out more times than I can count. When he was stationed in Munich, Germany, Munich, Germany, in World War II, he fathered a son. And he had affairs with my mother. And he favored my sister, but me, that was stupid, dumb, cussed me out one side, down the other, and that was what I kind of grew up with. Then there was this little old lady, and she's probably my age now, in looking back on it, so. <laughs> But at the time, you thought they were older than they were. And uh, she was uh, my uh, uh, aunt's uh, mother-in-law, and she sent her preacher to come to our house. She had talked to my dad many times and sent the preacher to come to the house. And so Desmond Cole, maybe a name you know or don't know, but anyway, Desmond Cole came to our home, showed us the film strip, show how, how old I really am, you know. I uh, showed the film strip series on the Old Testament and the New Testament and what it meant to become a Christian. And then my dad, my mom, and I were baptized into Jesus Christ, not at the Batavia Church Christ because they were just getting started and uh, they didn't have a baptistry, were baptized over in Bethel, Ohio, in the coldest water I can even tell you about. I was shaking so bad, the preacher said, I don't know if it's a sin coming out or if it's the Holy Spirit's got a hold of you. I'm not sure which. And that's what he said. My dad stopped drinking at that point. The behaviors didn't change, and you know what I'm talking about, that they kind of went on for a long time. And then when God convicted me, you've never forgiven your dad. How can I stand in a pulpit and talk about the love of God? How can I talk about the forgiveness of God? How can I talk about the transformation that He gives in our lives and me holding on to the resentment? I can tell you from that point on after I asked God's forgiveness that the anger, underlying anger that had been such a major part of my life for so long was gone. And for the first time in my life, I could talk to my dad without clenched teeth. And then I had an epiphany later on as God is always teaching us something. And the epiphany was this, that my father was only handing down what he had received from his dad and his dad before him and a whole line of alcoholism. and I got a perspective. He didn't want to say those things. He didn't want to treat me that way. But hurt people hurt people until you address those things in your life. They'll continue. Until you forgive them. Until you let them go. I like Ken Sandy's book because it says, Unforgiveness is the poison we drink Hoping others will die. And Corey Tinboom said, Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and realizing he is you. God's timing was perfect. Just a mere six years later, my mom got Alzheimer's. And Dad and I were able to work together and take care of my mom till the day she died. And we could have never, ever done that had I held on. And he even asked forgiveness. My dad, a few words, my dad, who didn't like to be serious, in that moment said he wished he could have done it all differently. And my sister and I got to witness that. One Father's Day, I preached on the idea that, you know, when Christ was baptized, that his father said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And I said at that time that every man and every woman needs to hear from their father that they are loved and to be affirmed by their father. Because a dad represents God in a unique way of authority, and it's vital and important to hear your parents say they love you. Came home from that um, Father's Day and met in my apartment, and uh, my mom said, "Uh, I love you. She said, we didn't hear any of that at home. We knew our parents cared. We knew our dad cared, but we never heard from his lips that he loved us. She said, but we knew he did, but we never heard the words. My father made an attempt to say he loved me and couldn't. In January of 2004, I was down in uh, Florida. My uh, dad was spending the winter, and that's a great place to be for the winter time. He was spending the winter with my sister. And the night before I was getting ready to travel back to uh, Cincinnati, where I live, he got out of bed and came and went to the bathroom, I know, it's three or four times. First time he comes out, he says, Watch for the cops. Watch that speeding when you go home. There are cops out there and everything. I was like, okay, Dad. Ironically, he and my sister got the most tickets of anybody in our family, but I only got one. He came out a second time, very much the same thing. He came out even a third time and said the same thing to me. Fourth time he came out, he said, Take care. I love you. And in February, he died. You see how valuable it is to forgive? And I want to tell you, it's impossible because we have been so wounded by individuals that we feel like we've got a right, but we don't. And we need to release it. And Christ has set the example. And God loves us with an everlasting love. And nothing will ever change that. I'm saying that uh, forgiveness is the ideal Christmas gift. That's simply because Christ came in the world. He was born to die for our sins and to give us the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to do what we humanly can't, the greatest will, the greatest determination, we can't let go of some of these things unless His Holy Spirit empowers us. And we pray to God for our help. And by the way, when you give this gift, know one other thing. It's okay to re-gift it. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share today I thank you for this wonderful congregation. I thank you for their love. I pray only, Father, you be with us to challenge us because there's going to be conflict till the day we die. Where two or three are gathered together, you're in the midst, but also Satan is too, trying to turn us one against another. Help us to be wiser than all of that. Help us to see it as an opportunity to be able to glorify you, to serve others and set an example. And Father, help us to grow in you, They become more like Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks, Earl. We're going to go ahead and uh, close out the service. Uh, Before we do that, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you. They're going to sing one last song, and you'll have an opportunity to come up and get prayer. Maybe you're one of those EGR Christians that Earl was talking about, and you need some extra grace. And what we find in the Word of God is that we can come to God's throne with boldness and find that grace in our time of need to give us mercy and also strength. To Maybe we need extra strength for forgiveness. Maybe that's our hang-up, or we have a different hang-up. But God promises us that he will give us grace And as he says in Timothy, his grace doesn't just, it isn't just the forgiveness, but also he empowers us to find a way out of that sin. Um, So as they're singing that last song, feel free, we'll have uh, the elders up here to pray for you. Also, if you just have a physical need, we'll pray for you as well. Um, So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and worship.
1: This is the end. Hope y'all have a great week.